Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Grace. I hope you've already had a wonderful time of meeting with God in worship. Maybe you've had a chance to greet some people around you or say hello to someone. But above all, you know, we come together like this because we want to meet with God and we want to grow in our relationship with him. Today, we wrap up a 10-part series we've been doing called So Much More. And I wanna start over here on the screen by walking through a passage of scripture. It's gonna be a little longer than we usually read, but I want us to begin right there as we set up today's message. And I'm convinced that God has something very personal for you, something very poignant, something very special he wants to say to you today about your own relationship with him. So let's begin by looking at these scriptures. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. Now, let me pause. People read the desert of sin and they think, oh my goodness, does that have something to do with sin as we understand it? Answer, absolutely not. People think there must be something mysterious here or hidden. It just happens to be a desert that is called by the name of sin, but it has nothing to do with sin as we know it. All right, let's go on. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Do you ever look back at times in the past and think, now those were the good old times? Boy, these Israelites have selective amnesia here. They're glorifying the past when honestly the good old times weren't all that good. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Now note those words, for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? I mean, that, that's literally, by the way, the word for manna. It's what is it? That's what the name means because that was their initial response when they saw this food that God was providing. What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs, 
Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Wow, what an interesting passage. Now, I've summarized the essence of today's message in one sentence. God wants to build in us, in you and me, a humble disposition of daily dependence on him. And as we wrap up this series from Exodus, I want to unpack that statement because there's so much there. I want to unpack it in three different parts. First of all, God wants to build in us a humble disposition. Now, when you think about it, the Israelites were dependent on God for every blessing they had received. Think about it. They were in this horrible slavery and bondage. And God answered their prayers and brought them out with miracles. God had defeated the gods of Egypt by sending one plague after another and exposing their impotence and inadequacy. And then, as we've seen in this series, God led them through the Red Sea on dry ground when the Egyptian army was bearing down on them. God had provided water to drink when their own supply was exhausted. And now, a new situation, a new crisis, their food has run out and they complain bitterly to Moses. And again, again, God comes through. And he provides this bread in the form of manna for them to eat. Now, I, I say all that to say we need to pause right here and just ponder this for a moment. It's staggering, isn't it, to think of all that God had done for them. Here's the deal, their story is our story. The Apostle Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter four, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What do you have that you did not receive? Answer, absolutely Nothing. It's just like King David in the Old Testament when the, the people had given so generously for the building of the future temple. And David, with a humble heart, responds in, in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And then he makes this statement. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from you. It was true for every blessing the Israelites enjoyed, and it's true for every good thing in our lives today. 
And God, God wants to build in us a humble disposition where we acknowledge that dependence on him. So let, let's get personal for a moment. Do you, ever, do you ever pause? I know you got busy lives. I, I know life is hectic. Do you ever pause for a moment and just ponder the wonderful blessings in your life? I hope you do, because that's one of the most emotionally healthy things you could ever do. Perhaps you have a loving spouse, children, a meaningful job that helps provide for your family. Maybe you have physical and emotional and mental health. Some of you have wonderful friendships that nourish you and robust dreams for your life and a mission that keeps you meaningfully engaged every day. You've got something to get up for every day. Listen, listen. The wise disciple of Jesus understands that all of those things are simply grace gifts from God in your life. You and I, we certainly don't deserve any of them. We certainly didn't earn them, amen, amen. We never could earn them. All of those wonderful things are pure grace, and it's so important that we acknowledge and recognize that. In fact, if you don't, if you don't pause and recognize that all these things are from a gracious heavenly father, can I tell you what's likely to have it happen? You're probably gonna start feeling entitled and even grumble when one of those things may be taken away from you. But if we do develop a humble disposition, then gratitude and contentment will be the result. Ah, it's just amazing how quickly the Israelites went from being utterly paralyzed with fear at the Red Sea to now feeling like God really owed them something. And the same tragic thing can happen to us. But let's go deeper now. Let's take this one step further. Here's the second statement. Just building on the first, taking it a little bit further, God wants to develop in us a humble disposition of, note these words now, daily, daily dependence. The scripture we read earlier is very clear that God provided manna for them to eat fresh every morning. Every morning there would be this white substance, this milky white residue all over the ground and they went out and they picked enough gathered enough to eat for that day. And scripture says it tasted like wafers made with honey. But if they gathered more than they needed for that single day and tried to hoard it for the next day during the night, it would rot and be infested with maggots <coughs> by morning. Now the lesson in that is pretty clear. God was teaching them a daily dependence on him, not just for food, but for their very life and vitality. They were to learn in this lesson to walk by faith daily, not by sight. Now, on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much because no manna was gonna fall on the Sabbath day. That was a day of renewal 
and rest. And sure enough, the manna that they stored up Friday night would not rot or decay. It did not begin to smell. It lasted and sustained them through the Sabbath day. In fact, manna didn't even appear on the Sabbath day on the ground, which was another extraordinary, miraculous indication that God was the source of all these good things. This was not some fluke of nature. God was feeding them with manna. Now, there was a very popular Christian singer back in the 1970s and very early part of the 1980s. His name, many of you know him, Keith Green, Keith Green, he passed away far too young, tragically, but wow, what a writer, what a performer, what an artist, honored God, and he, in one of his songs, talks about, you know, in in a humorous way, all the ways that manna can be fixed. Manna waffles, manna souffle, manna hotcakes, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, Banana bread, manicotti. <laughs> and I'm sure that although they probably tried to doctor it up and spice it up and fix it up and, and make it feel a little different, I'm sure they got heartily sick of this manna. But the spiritual lessons for them and for us are pretty clear. We're to develop this humble disposition of daily dependence on God's grace. And the key thought here, (coughs) excuse me, is daily, daily. D.L. Moody was a dynamic evangelist used by God more more powerfully (coughs) than anyone else in the late 19th century. So many people came to faith in Christ through his ministry. D.L. Moody once said, A man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take in sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Boy, that is powerful. So let me ask you, have you learned to do that? Have you learned to to walk with God daily and look to him daily? Now, I think in a culture like ours, (laughs) that's harder to do than it sounds. I mean, why do I need to depend on God for daily manna when my freezer and cupboards are stuffed with food? Why? Why do I need to depend on God? I mean, Come on, let's be brutally. Wouldn't a more appropriate prayer be, God, help me not to overeat? I mean, we don't want a daily disposition of dependence on God. We want long-term security. That's why we have IRAs and retirement programs and long-term investment strategies. Maybe we should just say to God, hey, you know, I got all my bases covered here, God. Thanks very much. That sure seems to be the way some people think. You see, brothers and sisters, we have so much. If we're not careful, people as blessed as we are can become like the church in Laodicea 
and Revelation chapter four. Look at what, look at what they said. They, they actually lulled themselves into believing that they had all they needed. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing, God. Thank you very much. Doing very good on my own. I, I'll check you out if I need any help. And then God says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're needy, but you don't even know how needy you are. Jesus told about a wealthy entrepreneurial farmer who had an abundant crop, and he said, hey, I'm gonna tear down my old barns, build bigger ones. Man, we are killing it, dude. And I'm gonna store away so much food, I'll never have another care in the world. I'm gonna kick back, and I'm gonna take it easy because I am the epitome of success. And God said to him, you fool. You fool, tonight you're going to die, and then whose will all these things be? And then Jesus said, that's how, the, how it's gonna be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Don't get the wrong idea. It's not wrong to pray for more than daily provisions as long as you don't lose your daily disposition of humble dependence on God. I think we ought to pray big, audacious prayers. The students and faculty of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky did. They'd been praying for over 10 years for revival. And guess what? God mightily answered their prayers. The Holy Spirit was tangible in the room, said one student. Chains were broken. Confession happened. And God was praised as holy, holy, holy. That's how one student described the revival that broke out on Wednesday, February 7th. It's continued now for weeks, unabated, as people from across the world started showing up in this tiny college town to experience a fresh touch from God. How'd it start? How'd that start? That's amazing. It started with a simple call on February 8th to confession, and over 100 people came and fell on their knees and bowed at the altar. And here's the deal. What they were experiencing on their knees as they confessed and prayed was so precious, nobody wanted to leave. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was almost entirely student-led. It involved testimonies and scripture readings and praying and worshiping God with songs. And it was nothing fancy, humanly speaking, But boy, God showed up because they dared to pray big prayers. Don't miss my point. Please don't miss the point. That all began with bold praying. The people at Asbury were asking God for more than daily bread. Do you, do you ever pray big prayers like that, brothers and sisters? I, I wanna urge you to. 
Let, let's not pray piddly little prayers. Let's pray beyond that. Jabez, in the Old Testament, prayed that God would enlarge his territory and bless him immensely. And you know what? God granted his request. It's not wrong to pray for huge blessings from God. The apostle Peter was in prison, but guess what? Acts 12, 15 says the church was praying bold prayers. They were earnestly praying to God for his release. Jesus prayed that all of his followers would be united and sanctified in the truth. What a bold, audacious prayer. The early Christians, can you believe it? They prayed that they would have the power to perform miracles and heal. The apostle Paul prayed that all of his fellow Jews would become Christians. There's nothing wrong with bold, audacious prayers like that, but it must be done not with a spirit of entitlement. You owe me, God. No, 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 God doesn't owe you a thing. He doesn't owe me a thing. It must be done with an attitude and in disposition of humble dependence. God, any good thing in my life, you, you, O oh Lord, are the source of it. And I think, see, here's the cool part. We kind of always want to know, well, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for me? Well, hey, that shouldn't be our first question, but it's not a wrong question. Can I tell you what's in it for you? Less anxiety. If you struggle with worry, if you struggle with being gripped with fear and anxiety and tortured about thoughts about the future and what might happen with your health or a plummet in the stock market lower than it already is. I don't know what makes you worry. Maybe it's a tragedy with your family. Maybe it's a discovery that you're afraid someone's gonna learn something that will humiliate and embarrass you. But see, here, here's the thing. When we learn to do what we're talking about today, what God was trying to teach the Israelites to do, what he tries to teach us to do, this daily manna from heaven, Here's what we discover is really true. His peace that passes all understanding begins to guard over our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And our contentment just soars. And we begin to realize that because we have, we have no guarantee that we're even gonna be alive tomorrow, we learn to live every day day to the full. In one of her essays, Ann Wells wrote something that I, that I believe is, is just incredibly, incredibly powerful. <coughs> she writes, my brother-in-law <coughs> opened the bottom drawer of my sister's bureau and lifted out a tissue-wrapped package. He discarded the tissue and handed me her slip. It was exquisite, silk, handmade and trimmed with a cobweb of lace. The price tag with an astronomical figure on it was still attached. Jan bought this the first time we went to New York, he said, at least eight or nine years ago. She never wore it. She was saving it for a special occasion. 
he took the slip from me and put it on the bed with the other clothes we were taking to the mortician. His hands lingered on the soft material for a moment, and then he slammed the door shut and turned to me. Don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day you're alive is a special occasion. Wow. I remember those words through the funeral and the days that followed when I helped him and my niece attend to all the sad chores that follow an unexpected death. And those words, those words have changed my life. I'm not saving anything. We use our good china and crystal for every special event, such as losing a pound, <laughs> getting the sink unstopped, the first camellia blossom. Someday, and one of those days, are losing their grip on my vocabulary. If it's worth seeing or hearing or doing, I wanna see and hear and do it now. I'm trying not to put off, hold back, or save anything that would add laughter and luster to our lives. And every morning when I open my eyes, I tell myself, ah, this, this is a special day. I think that's powerful. And when we learn every day to look to God like that for special manna, we learn to live every day to the full with no regrets. When a Native American boy turned 13, some of the tribes had a particular rite of passage. Uh, at dusk, they would blindfold this 13-year-old boy, lead him out into the woods, and, and tell him to stay there blindfolded until morning. Don't remove that blindfold. He couldn't take it off until the warmth of the sun the next morning hit his face. He was to sit there all night blindfolded, listening to the frightening sounds in the woods. But in the morning, when he took off the blindfold, the first thing that he would see was his father sitting just a few yards away. He had been there guarding him all night long. Dear Christian, you have a father who neither slumbers nor sleeps. And as we depend on him for daily manna, we are really learning to say, Lord, I know this is a very uncertain world. It's downright dangerous. But I'm learning to say with the psalmist that my times are in your hands. And I look to you to deliver me and provide for all that I need and more. Isaiah the prophet said, oh Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation <coughs> in time of distress. Well, finally today, as we move toward our close, I want to stress this last part. God wants to develop in us, a humble disposition of daily dependence, note the final two words, on him, on him. The one we're depending on is the Lord. 
Jesus is the true bread of life. In John's Gospel, chapter six, Jesus engaging in conversation with some of the Jewish people, he said in John 6, 31, this is so incredible, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus added some clarity because we read on here, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you, this is present tense now, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Remember, Jesus wants to meet with you every day. He wants you to learn to relate to him, look to him, depend on him, rely on him, and he will be indeed, the bread of life to you. It's a picture of Jesus himself. So let me say to you, brothers and sisters, God never intended for our relationship with him to be stale and dull and dry. It's to be fresh every day because it's new manna from heaven every morning. His grace is fresh and nourishing every single day and he gives us every day exactly what we need for that day. His compassions are new every morning. And we know, we know from Exodus 16 that some of the Israelites didn't like the idea of going out every day for six days. And so they tried to hoard up some manna. The text is very clear about this in, in Exodus 16. <clears throat> then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Some believers have a life that stinks. That's being real. It's full of maggots, as it were. And here's, here's why, here's why. There's a reason. Perhaps you're trying to live today on yesterday's supply. You're trying to live today with yesterday's manna. It's not gonna work. You come to church on Sunday hoping it will recharge your spiritual battery enough to get you through to next Sunday. But by Tuesday, your spiritual life is beginning to stinketh, okay? Stinketh, as the King James might say. It reeks. His grace is new every day, and we draw fresh every day on his supply. It is a beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ. He gives you what you need today. Hey, tomorrow, totally different deal. He'll give you what you need for tomorrow, but not before tomorrow. And this keeps our relationship with Christ fresh and current and vibrant and alive. We cannot live on yesterday's grace. We don't want to. 
Since each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus gives enough grace for today's troubles, but not tomorrow's. That's the key to why so many Christians are feeling frustrated and empty, because we're trying to live today on yesterday's supply of manna. So the bottom line, bottom line as we wrap up is this, the lesson is clear. The only way the Israelites were gonna possess the land and live the abundant lives God designed for them was through a humble disposition of daily dependence on him. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. Oh, he's got so much more for you. He brought you out to bring you in, and don't you dare get stuck in the desert. Let's keep moving on into the more, the abundant life that God has for every one of us. Father, that's what we want. I pray for those today who are feeling like, hey, I, 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 I'm not looking to you every day for fresh manna. I'm, I'm, I, I guess my Christian life probably stinks a bit because I keep going back to that time when I felt you like a year ago, a, a month ago, a week ago, but that's not gonna get me through, is it? Father, I pray that by your spirit you would make it crystal clear today that just as yesterday's manna could not sustain your people then, it will not sustain us now. And I pray that we learn the lesson every day to draw afresh on your grace and your supply, because your mercies are new every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.